(laughs) (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Can't Make This Shit Up, a true crime podcast. I'm Cassie. And I'm Mark, her dad. I'm a traffic homicide detective in South Florida. And we hope you guys enjoy. second time recording this episode yeah jimmy rice right <laughs> yeah unfortunately our last recording of it it just it we'd had a lot of reverb and didn't turn out great so yeah it's probably because we were in the exact same room and we didn't have a professional setup yet i know well first we have a few announcements so first of all we wanted to say thank you for to everyone who's been listening and who has sent us positive feedback we really really appreciate it it's actually really exciting we have a lot of new listeners from like dublin and england and uh, canada there's tons of people listening from canada which is cool yeah it's Um, weird how it's how it's reaching across the the whole world actually so it's very cool so if you haven't already it would really help us out if you would even if you don't listen on that platform if you would go on to itunes and rate and review us if you're a fan because it really helps more people find us which would be cool we also have an instagram our instagram is can't make this shit up pod so we also have an email address where you can email us it's can't make this shit up pod at gmail.com. We want to start doing questions at the end of every podcast we put out. Every so episode. Every, every episode, we'd like to just have questions from you guys that we can kind of read and answer. I mean, they could be personal questions. They could be law enforcement questions, whatever you're curious about. That's it. We may or may not have an answer for you. But we'll do our best. Absolutely. Yeah. And we'll, we'll read them at the end and we'll say, you know, who sent them in and stuff. So. Yeah, that'll be cool. Yes. Yeah, so also it'd be really helpful if you guys listen to just kind of spread the word, like tell your friends and family about us. I feel like that's the best way to be kind of, cool. yeah, I mean, I think it's the best way to um, get new listeners. It's just word of mouth. So yeah, if you like us, let your friends know. And if you don't like us, tell them anyways. Because, you know, maybe they'll like us. Maybe they will. You don't know. Yeah, you never know. And also, I want to say thank you. I've seen a couple of people who have shared us on social media and stuff, which thank you. Oh, thank great. You, thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. So this case, the murder of Jimmy Rice, a few weeks ago on our Instagram, I asked people for suggestions, for case suggestions. So this was one of them. Um, It was actually suggested by one of my best friends who I've known since fifth grade, Raquel. So hi, Raquel. Hey, Raquel. Shout out. Shout out. All right. So I personally chose this case because this is the first true crime case I ever remember being aware of, like as a child, because this happened in 1995. So I was like six years old and I can remember it being on the radio. I remember even people at school talking about it. This is like the first case I actually remember being aware of. Very high profile case. It was the uh, first year or the year actually I went into law enforcement. So um, the year I started the academy. So I remember it pretty well. Know of the people that investigated it, work in that bureau now. So a lot of history there. So it's definitely an interesting case, very sad case. And it changed a lot of um, how we do, how we do investigations and some procedures and stuff that we do within, within the department and stuff. So a lot of good work was done on this case for, you know, for such a tragic event. And what we found out when we first recorded this, it was actually to the day that you joined. September 11th. It was my very first day. Yep. So spoiler alert. Uh, this case starts on September 11th, 1995. So, and that's a lot of things occurred on September 11th through the years. Apparently, I know it's uh, historically not a very good day. Yeah. Not a good day, but so 
as I said, on, on the afternoon of September 11th, 1995, nine-year-old Samuel James Rice, so that was his legal name, but he went by Jimmy Rice. Right. He didn't return home from school after getting off of the school bus. He lived in the Redlands, which for those of you who aren't familiar with Miami, it's kind of like a rural farming kind of community, like in real South Miami-Dade. Yeah, it's unincorporated Dade County. A lot of farms, a lot of ranch. Well, when I say ranches, a lot of mostly farms and um, uh, landscaping nurseries and things like that. Um, there are some like horse farms and stuff or horse ranches down there. Um, Which is this part Part of this case takes place on a horse ranch. All right. There you go. Okay. So, but yeah, that's a very kind of an agricultural, I guess you would say area or the residential slash agricultural. So his home, uh, Jimmy's home was only one block away from the bus stop. So he got off the school bus. And his parents were immediately concerned when he didn't return home. So they, they were pretty quick about it. They reported him missing right away. And an extensive search of the area ensued. And flyers, posters were posted. They were doing helicopter searches. It was a, it was a pretty intense search like right away. Yeah, very one of the largest probably in South Florida at that point, for sure. So while the police followed every lead they could, unfortunately, Jimmy was not located. So in September of 1995, which is the same month that Jimmy went missing, a woman who owned a horse farm in the Redlands, her name is Mrs. Shinehouse, began noticing items going missing from her home, including expensive jewelry and a handgun. So she reported these items stolen to the police and told them that she believed her handyman who worked on her property at the time, whose name was Juan Carlos Chavez, she believed he'd stolen all the items. Right. So basically the police told her that without any concrete evidence, there's really nothing they can do. Right. Her word against his or no proof, no video, no evidence. Very hard to, to, to bring charges on a case like that. So... Which Absolutely. speaking of, it must be so much easier nowadays to like catch criminals because there's so much video everywhere. Um, I don't know that it's that it makes that easier. I mean, it definitely helps the process. But um, I remember one case before I, I went into the Homicide Bureau. Um, I was a um, property detective or a burglary detective. And I had a picture, a still picture from a gas station where a guy was using the stolen credit card. I had the picture of the guy, but, you know, we put it out over the media, but you have a picture, but you don't know who the person is. So unless, you know, you, you're able to put it out over the media and somebody calls you and tells you who this person is, you have a picture of the person, but you might not ever figure out who that, you know, you might not get a name or, you know, ever locate who they are. So video helps for telling the story. It doesn't necessarily help for solving like who, you know, who the parties are necessarily. Well, it definitely yeah. gives you like, you know, the players or the suspects or whatever, but it doesn't like automatically identify them, you know? Well, and I'm sure it doesn't help because I, I personally have seen a lot of like CCTV footage, which is the shittiest footage ever. And I'm like, it's 2021. Can we, yeah. like, can we upgrade our camera systems? What I have to say for like in the crashes that I investigate, the video has been very, very helpful. And there's a lot more of it. And there's nothing more frustrating than you see this fantastic looking camera system. And either A, it doesn't record. It's like a, it's like a dummy system or the recording system itself is terrible. And you know, like you, you just can't see it. Like the camera, they spend a million dollars on cameras and five dollars on the recording hardware and you know the, it's like grainy or it's too dark or you can't see it like that's the most frustrating when you know you have the event on film or on video but you can't clearly see it it's like ah well like, and i i personally like just watching true crime stuff i i hear like all the time oh you know the cops will see a camera and then 
they talk to like the store owner and they're like, ah, oh, the camera system's been down for like just that week. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All and you're time. like, what are the odds? Or it has like no memory and it like, re- it like records over like every 24 hours it re-records, you know, because it takes a lot which, of memory to store video and stuff. So. Which what a waste. <laughs> yeah. Well, the earlier models, like the first models that they just didn't think about, that wasn't like the priority, just the, the cameras and stuff. Now with everything um, as digital and with terabyte uh, software or terabyte hard drives and things like that, it's a lot easier. But in its infancy, or when it first became like a, a thing, uh, the recording was very, you know, keeping something recorded was very difficult. A month later, after she had gone to the police and reported those items stolen, uh, it was November of 1995. Okay. So like a badass, Mrs. Shinehouse decided to gather the evidence herself <laughs> because the cops were like, we can't do anything unless you have evidence. She's like, well, fuck that. I'm going to go get some. Yeah, it was, it was really because of her that this case broke open, so. I know, yeah. which, good for, I, I don't know Kudos if to her. alive, but yeah. Mrs. Shinehouse, good for you. Yeah, good for you. It's, uh, yeah, it's, you know, like, as an officer, I would say, well, as we talk about it, no, you really don't want to do that, but because she did, the way she did obtain the uh, the information led, to, uh, you know, detectives to, to, to go down the right path, so. You know, there's that balance of the rules of evidence and stuff like that, where you don't want to jeopardize evidence because you'll lose it in court. But at the same time, sometimes you have to figure out, you have to get creative on, you know, resolving or solving these issues. So again, shout out to her. She really broke this case open. So yeah, she didn't give up. Buck. No, she, well, she, she was just a civilian or, you know, well, I meant about, about him, about the uh, oh, well, that assailant, too, yeah, but... not the, uh, not the no, right, uh, right, right. innocent boy, but Oh, no, but good, good human. Like, you know, a lot of people would just turn, you know, turn and walk away or not everybody would step up to the plate like that. So, you know, she definitely, like I said, definitely, she was a big factor in this case. So, so she enlisted the help of her son, who was Edward Shinehouse, and that he lived with her. So they hired a locksmith on December 5th to open the door to Chavez's trailer because he lived on their property. So clearly they had the right to do so. Well, well, more so than like if he lived yes. like by him. Yes, like and then, then a, yes, then a stranger or something. Yeah, you're correct. But still, it's his residence. Technically, he's you know afforded some level of privacy. And well, so that's where that's where the kind of but Mrs. she gave zero fucks. There you go. <laughs> she was she didn't care. No, she Which didn't. Good, in this case, good for you, Mrs. Yeah, God bless. Yeah, God bless. Upon entering the trailer, Mrs. Shinehouse immediately found her stolen handgun. It was laying right out in the open on the kitchen counter. So literally, as soon as she walked in the door, she's like, got him. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if you were able to see that from like a window, you know, like the plain view thing. Because like, you know, if we get to, if we look through a window and we see something that's a crime, then we can act on it. Which know, like, honestly, because it, it was just, it was a trailer. So, right. I mean, if, if it was laid out like a typical trailer is, I would assume you probably could. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, it was, I mean, I know the trailer. I've seen it a bunch of times. Um it was small. I would say it's probably five by eight, a little kind of pull behinds, you know, that they have. Um, oh, see, was, that's even smaller than I was picturing in my head. I mean, it's probably bigger. That's probably the wrong dimension, but it, it's literally one of those that, that hooks on like on a trailer hitch, you know, like one of the smaller, it wasn't, that, you know, yeah, it wasn't that big. It wasn't like, um, like a, one of those driving mobile homes or anything like that. It was just one of those pull alongs or whatever. So it wasn't that big, but it did have windows in it that are, you know, that I remember. So that would have been uh, interesting point to know just i mean that's just my curiosity not well either way she as we've said mrs shinehouse didn't give a fuck she, went she right was going in that. she went right in and handled her business legal or illegal <laughs> <laughs> all right so yeah, she it don't see- matter now because you know. <laughs> yeah she ended up doing good in the long run she did yeah absolutely the so whole uh well, so. so after seeing the handgun she and her son basically started searching the trailer 
because uh, they knew that I'm sure they were going to find more of her stolen property in there. Right. Uh, upon opening Chavez's closet, she found a backpack sitting on the floor. So she opened the backpack to basically look for the remainder of her stolen item. She thought maybe the jewelry was hidden in there. Right. Um, but all that was in there was a bunch of notebooks and papers. But as she looked at them, she realized they were written in a child's writing, which kind of caught her eye because he didn't have a child. Right. He lived um, alone in that trailer. Right. No family or at least so, not here, not locally. Yeah. They stuck out, they stuck out to her. And so she began reading them and she noticed that a child's name was written on the items and it was Jimmy Rice. So right. by this point, this has been this case, the fact that he's missing has been all over the news, all over the area, especially her living in the Redlands. Right. Yeah, they that, that area was like super saturated with flyers, information, people looking like, you know, the searches and stuff. So she definitely would have, well, she did. She knew exactly who he was. So, um, which was another, you know, point of this case with her doing what she did and having, you know, the knowledge and, and, and you know, to move forward and say, oh, shit, I found, <laughs> I found this poor kid's, you know, this missing kid. Which I'm sure her stomach fell right into her butthole. You know what I mean? Like, I would be yeah. like so freaked out. One of those out. Oh shit moments, yeah. It's like, yeah. oh shit, yeah. So definitely, definitely. I mean, but again, like huge, huge, huge break in the case was her going into that trailer and, you know, discovering everything that she did, so. Obviously, like like we said, there's missing flyers everywhere and all over the news. So she immediately recognized the name as that of the boy who'd been missing. So at that point, she handed the items to her son, who was also in the trailer, and he also recognized the name. Um, so immediately they decided to call the FBI because they were the ones who had been handling Jimmy's missing, pers missing persons case along with Miami-Dade PD. Correct. And as we learned in our Lindbergh kidnapping episode, the FBI is always called in during cases involving missing children. So Correct. that wasn't out of the ordinary. No, that was pro the regular procedure. When Chavez returned home at 7.15 p.m., okay. his home was surrounded by armed FBI agents. And he was immediately taken into custody by two Metro Dade police officers yep. and taken to the station for questioning. Yep. <laughs> so uh, Detective Luis Estopinen, which you've heard of, but you didn't know personally. Correct. Yeah, he's he's been retired, been off the department for a while now. I don't know how long, but definitely not on anymore. Well, he was bilingual, so he spoke Spanish and English. So that's why he led the interrogation, because Chavez is a, was a Cuban immigrant. So he, he spoke English, but not well. Right. So initially, Chavez told several differing stories about what had happened to Jimmy and how he came to have the backpack. So in order to ascertain what really occurred, the detectives asked Chavez to accompany them to two locations. So one being uh, Mrs. Shinehouse's horse farm. And also, I guess there's a neighboring the horse farm is an avocado grove, which is where his trailer was located. Right. So here she owned both, right? She owned both the horse and the I believe avocado so. nursery or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here, uh, the detectives asked Chavez to show them where certain events he claimed happened had occurred, basically to check out his story and make sure if things were adding up. Correct. Right. To either call bullshit or or to confirm um, you know, the story that, you know, eventually would come out that, you know, what happened. So so as they started to do this, it quickly became apparent that Chavez's account didn't make any sense. Yeah. When you have, when you lie, <laughs> it's hard to, uh, it's hard to make it, you know, believable, especially know, when they're taking you to the location and you're trying to create shit. If first you're creating it in your mind, in the office under stress, and then you got to try to put it in play when they take you. Cause we don't just go, Oh, okay. Yeah. We believe you. And you know, have a nice day. 
Although I will, I will give him credit, which I think is more probably his attorneys than him. But later in um, actual court case, some of his lies are pretty like convincing. Not a hundred percent. There's still parts that don't add up. But I was like borderline impressed of like I see what you're trying to do here. Yeah, well, you can always answer a question correctly if you have time to practice, and you know. <laughs> and you have an attorney telling you, you, attorney you might helping. want to put it this way. Like if you have a cheat sheet, you, you're going to do great on a test, you know, like, come on. That's true. <laughs> so the detectives pleaded with Chavez to show them where Jimmy's remains were in order to give closure to Jimmy's family. After Chavez realized that the, basically he was caught, that the physical evidence wasn't matching what he was saying, he finally told Estopinin he would tell the truth. However, he claimed he would only show the detectives where Jimmy's body was if they could guarantee that he would be granted the death penalty. Right. Which is ironic later because he he tries to get away from the death penalty later on. Yeah, but I think as we discussed before, I think that was more the attorneys more than anything else. More than yeah. I mean, maybe he had maybe he had a you know he changed his mind, but you know I don't think an, a, a defense attorney wants to a lose and then lose and his client gets the death penalty. That's probably like a double whammy. Yeah, that's probably not so good on his record. Right. So, you know, but I don't know know specifically. So Detective Estopinin explained to Chavez that that they as detectives had no power to impose the death penalty. You know, that would be up to the lawyers and the judge. judge. But despite that, Chavez continued to talk anyway. So I don't know if he just said fuck it or he just kind of dumb. Like, (laughs) I think I think he was probably he was pretty, I want to say well educated, but, you know, naturally in Spanish. I think he was probably more intelligent than he was in English. And I think part of it was because it was a child and they had built up a rapport with him in the time that they spent together talking to him and stuff like that, which is you know, part of what we try to do to make him feel comfortable to to want to tell. And the fact that he realized the evidence just was, you know, <laughs> he wasn't yeah, like, gonna, how am I going to get out of this? I think he did show he made He must have had like a moment, a moment of morality. And it was, you know, maybe that's what it was. I don't know. Like, I don't know specifically. I never spoke to him or but he did talk, though. So at this point, he started to tell the detective that he had been sexually assaulted as a boy in Cuba. And he said that if that hadn't happened, he would never have kidnapped Jimmy, which I was like, that's bullshit. Right. No, there are plenty of people who endure things and they go on to do good things like. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's not. That's that's not the cause. That's not the reason. I'm sure it didn't help him growing up or, you know. Well, and we find out that he like later on, we'll see he's such a liar that it's really hard to know if that part's even true. But I think that it's bullshit yeah. in my opinion yeah i mean yeah even if that part is true then i mean it's it's horrible and should never happen but it's also unfortunately not doesn't excuse murdering a child and doing what he did to him so absolutely Estopinin again asked chavez to show them where jimmy's body was located again telling him it was time to be truthful so this could all come to an end at this point chavez requested a short break so they gave it to him following the break Chavez again told his most recent account of the story to another detective uh, whose name was Sergeant Jimenez, which mm-hmm. did you know him? Uh, I know of him. He was, okay. he was the, he was the squad sergeant or the, yeah, the, the, we have homicide squads. He was the sergeant of the one that was handling the, the team that, you know, the sergeant of the team that was handling the case. So, so both detectives knew that that account was false. So he basically tried to lie again. Chavez then asked to use the restroom and upon his return, I don't know what he did in the restroom. He had some sort of change of heart because he said, quote, what do you want to know? I'll tell you what happened to Jimmy Rice. Wow. Well, because he went to the bathroom. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe he just had to take a real long poop and <laughs> it cleared his mind. He has exercised the demons. <laughs> well, not quite. <laughs> not quite, but <laughs> he released them. 
<laughs> so here is his final version of events and the version that police believe to be closest to the truth. Right, but not 100% the truth. Right. So at approximately 3 p.m., upon driving home in a truck owned by his boss, Mrs. Shinehouse, which this poor lady, he used like so much of her shit to commit this crime. Right. Well, because uh, he didn't have anything. Well, true. Literally, he didn't, you know, he lived in her trailer and was a, a, you know, a migrant worker or, you know, a farm worker and had, you know, really had nothing. It was no money, no, you know, no wealth. Which also, no I'm sure, kind of sucked in the sense that they had to confiscate all her shit, too, for the case. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure they confiscated her truck, like the, the trailer, which I wouldn't want the trailer anyway, if I were her. Yeah, like, but well, I'll like, tell you, like, we talked about the trailer. Um, we held it. We had it in custody because of the rules of evidence up until just a couple of years ago, so. And we'll discuss that at the end. So Yeah. So he'd been driving home in Mrs. Shinehouse's truck from Home Depot. Chavez noticed several boys playing in a canal, which is terrifying to me because alligators. <laughs> like if you, I, those of you that haven't lived like in the South where alligators are a thing, probably are like, that's not your first thought when you like jump into a body of water. There's like and alligators I, I literally am traumatized about alligators to the point where I even sometimes get nervous to jump into a pool, even though logically I know there's no alligators in there. Well, there's there's videos of alligators getting into pools while people are in them. Well, you I meant like, because I live in California now, so there's none no, here. Right, right, right. But like, well, yeah, here, they're everywhere. Yeah, they're yeah, they're in every canal, every lake. It's you just have to automatically assume that they're there. So. Yeah, like growing up in South Florida, you just are taught like never go near a natural body of water. And honestly, even if you're going in a pool, look first. Right. Always look. <laughs> so I thought it was kind of odd that these kids were playing in the canal because I'm like, oh, the gator could have got them. <laughs> yeah, well, we did do that. You know, that was a long time ago, but we did <laughs> you know, play by canals and fish and jump in them. <laughs> so some of these boys had stripped down to their underwear to avoid getting their clothes wet and they were playing in the water. And upon seeing them, Chavez quote, took an interest in them. Initially, Chavez continued home. However, he eventually ended up turning around because he wanted to return to the canal to get another look at the boys in their underwear. So on his way back to the canal, Chavez spotted Jimmy Rice walking along the opposite roadside. So Jimmy wasn't one of the boys in the canal. He was just, like we said, happened to be at the same time yeah, walking home got from off the, the bus. bus and going home. Yep. So at that point, upon seeing Jimmy Rice, uh, Chavez swung his truck around in front of Jimmy, blocking his path, and he immediately stepped out of the truck with, he had had with him, um, Mrs. Shinehouse's stolen revolver. Right. So he pointed it at Jimmy and asked him, quote, do you want to die? Jimmy immediately, of course, was frightened and said no. Chavez then told Jimmy to get inside the truck. And obviously having no choice, Jimmy entered the truck through the driver's side door. Right. Once inside the truck, Chavez directed Jimmy to take off his backpack and place it on the floor between his legs. Meanwhile, Chavez placed the gun under his lap and directed Jimmy to put his head down so that he wouldn't be seen by other drivers. Right. From there, Chavez drove Jimmy back to his trailer and forced Jimmy inside at gunpoint. He then told Jimmy to sit on the bed and he sat down in an office chair directly across from him and began talking with Jimmy, who of course at this point is panicking and crying. Right. Jimmy repeatedly asked Chavez why he had taken him, but instead of answering, Chavez just began explaining his job on the farm to him, which I'm sure who gives a fuck. Yeah. But yeah. Jimmy continued to ask what Chavez wanted with him and why he had took him. And at that point, Chavez, which I find 
extremely annoying when people do this in general. He basically just kept repeating Jimmy's questions back to him, saying right. things like, well, why do you think I took you? Uh, yeah. What do you think you're doing here? Which it's like, yeah. if I knew that, I wouldn't be fucking asking you, you more. Exactly right. <laughs> Definitely is a shit thing to do. Oh, well, everything he's doing is shit, so I guess. <laughs> yeah. Or so. Finally, Chavez forces Jimmy to remove his clothes, and he raped him. Right. So his confession goes into like really elaborate detail on it, but I'm not. <laughs> no, of course not. So following the rape, Chavez told Jimmy to get dressed and forced him once again into the truck. At this point, Chavez told police that his intention was to drop Jimmy off where he had originally kidnapped him from. However, by the time he arrived back at that location, there were already several police cars there because his parents had already reported him missing. Right. So panicking, Chavez instructed Jimmy to keep his head down and instead return to his trailer because he had nowhere else to go. Right. Upon arriving, he forced Jimmy back inside the trailer. At this point, Chavez said that Jimmy was so so scared that he was visibly trembling and crying. Right. At this point, Jimmy asked him, quote, what is going to happen to me? Are you going to kill me? In an effort to keep Jimmy calm, Chavez began to speak with him again. And this time he began asking Jimmy questions about his own life, which is like, oh, yeah, that's poor kid. The last his last moments of life were shit. Yeah, truly horrific. Now, um, both Chavez and Jimmy at this point hear a helicopter flying over the horse ranch. So Chavez immediately thinks it's a police helicopter that was dispatched to probably search for Jimmy because he's already seen all the cop cars looking for him. Right. As soon as he hears the helicopter, Chavez immediately grabs Jimmy in an effort to keep him from trying to escape. While inside the trailer, the two kept hearing the helicopter fly over several more times. Right. So finally, Chavez let go of Jimmy and he got up and went to go look out of the trailer window to try and see if he could see the helicopter and basically check out if it really was the police. Right. At that point, Jimmy decided he was going to make a run for it. So he runs towards the front door of the trailer. Chavez claimed he attempted to grab Jimmy, but there was a pile of clothes in the way and he basically got caught up and tripped and fell. So he took the revolver, which he still had in his hand, and from the floor fired in Jimmy's direction. The bullet hit Jimmy in the back, and he said that Jimmy screamed upon impact and then collapsed. Chavez stood up and went to Jimmy, who had landed on his stomach. He turned. He 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 intentionally shot him. He didn't shoot him because he like tripped and fell. Right. Intentionally shot. Okay. Right. He basically he tried to catch him. This is according to which the evidence does support this. We'll see. Right. Right. Okay. But yeah, he basically said that he got caught up in the in clothes, like trying to run after Jimmy, and so couldn't catch him, and And so couldn't catch him, and then said, "Okay, well, if I can't catch him, I'm shooting him." Okay. So Jimmy had landed on his stomach. He turned Chavez, turned Jimmy around, and said, "Jimmy took one final breath in his arms and died, and he had collapsed only inches from the door." Jesus. Like literally on the verge of escape. Yeah. Horrific. That's horrible. After Jimmy's death, Chavez shoved Jimmy's body into a metal barrel, which he had in his trailer, which I think is so odd. Who, why do you have a metal barrel inside of your trailer? I understand maybe on the outside, but like, what do you do with a metal barrel in your house? I don't know. I don't know the context. Like if he was using it as like a table, like he had a piece of wood on it or something, or it was just, I mean, I don't know, just in there. (laughs) Like so odd. So he loaded the barrel into his truck after he placed Jimmy's body into it. Right. Which it wasn't his truck. It was Mrs. Shinehouse's truck, but the truck he used. Right. So he drove it over to the Shinehouse's residence and he drove over to the stables because remember it's a horse ranch. They had large stables. 
right. he unloaded the barrel and hid it in a disabled van parked nearby. So it was a van that no longer worked for whatever reason. Right. From there, Chavez took Jimmy's backpack, which he'd left in the vehicle and walked back to his trailer, which th- that part I find funny that he like pur- purposefully kept the backpack. Because if you think about it, what a dumb thing to do, because he would have ne- probably, I mean, I don't want to say never, who knows, but right. at least in this scenario, he would have never been like tied to it if it wasn't right. for having the backpack. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the one piece of evidence that, yeah, you're right, that, that's the, that puts them all together, puts it all together. So yeah. Like you would think his first order of business would be or, to like get rid of it, like throw it or, anywhere, really. Like put it, it burn it. Leave it with the body. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I'm glad he didn't. But right, right, yeah. It's just like interesting to me. I'm like, what an idiot. It's uh, you know, if you believe in karma, it was like one of those karma things that it just he was meant to mess up like that so he could get caught. You know, like <laughs> yeah. So that night, the night after the murder, Chavez claimed he'd been unable to sleep because all he could think about was how to dispose of Jimmy's body, which I find interesting because it's not like you couldn't, he didn't say like, oh, I couldn't sleep because I was so like tore up. Like I was so racked with guilt about what I did. It's like, no, I couldn't sleep because I was so worried about getting caught. Right. Like it just shows what like sociopathy is. Absolutely. Yeah. There was no care for him. No care for the victim. It was just, how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to cover my tracks? So, which Clearly, you stayed up all night thinking and didn't think to get rid of the backpack, you idiot. Yeah. Well, yeah, he didn't think well enough, I guess. During the night, Chavez went through Jimmy's backpack and read all of his notebooks and papers inside, which I also think is creepy. Like, right. you just kid that killed this kid. Why are you reading his shit? Which also proves how little guilt he felt. Right. And how insane he was. How crazy he was. I don't so, even say he was crazy, but, you know, just that's just some sick shit. I don't know. I think he's just evil. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think he's one of those criminals who genuinely is a sociopath like he only cares about himself right yeah absolutely no yeah there's no remorse for anything except for himself and not getting caught and yeah right at this point chavez noticed blood on his clothing so he decided to destroy them which i find interesting too because once again you took the time to destroy your bloody clothing but you kept the backpack like why wouldn't you destroy it along with your clothes like it makes no sense unless he maybe wanted it as like a trophy or something yes, i was about to say maybe he kept it as like a as a as a token or like a trophy or something just to remind him of his his conquest or whatever if if Ugh. he thought in those in those terms or in those i ideas. mean i definitely think there has to be a reason i don't think he ever said it like at least not anything i read but it there has to be a reason he kept that because if he's sitting there destroying his clothes, like, you know what I'm saying? There, there has no, to be Yeah, some he had the presence of mind to try to get rid of some of the evidence, but not all of the evidence. And so, especially the most incriminating one. Right. So it definitely probably had some personal attachment to him. Who knows? I mean, we'll never know, thank God. I mean, not that we need to know. We don't need to give him any more time than what we're talking about him here, but... I know. Definitely. I mean, it, it's unfortunately it is it is an interesting point in the case. Like you would, I'm sure there's a fucking story behind that. <laughs> All oh yeah. Sense, you know? So Chavez left Jimmy's body in the barrel for three days in the um, disabled van. Right. Finally, he decided to use a backhoe in order to dig a large hole on the Shine House property in order to bury Jimmy's body. Right. However, unfortunately for Chavez, while he was digging, the backhoe broke. Karma. Yeah, like it, it's a lot of there's a lot of points in this case where like you can just like literally see I mean whether it's God karma whatever you believe right whatever in. you believe right but it's, like it's, literally there's so many points in this case where it's these the evil things was happen. done the evil was done but there was enough right in the world or in the cosmos or whatever you believe in that all these steps 
occurred, these incorrect steps or whatever you want to call them that led us to, you know, led the police to make the arrest and, you know, resolve or solve this case. So, which, woohoo. So yeah, the backhoe breaks. So basically Chavez couldn't dig a big enough hole anymore. So he just had like half a hole. Um, (laughs) So he had to come up with another plan. So obviously he was starting to become desperate because the lid of the barrel had popped off at this point and it was starting to smell. Right. So he decided to remove Jimmy's body from the barrel. How he did this is he dragged a piece of plywood over to the van and basically like emptied the body onto it and then dragged it into the um, stables. I have to tell you that a body does not do well in South Florida heat when it's decomposing. I'm going to let you know. And this is three, you're talking three or four days after that must have been horrendous. I can't even, I mean, I know what, I know what that smell is and and that look is, and oh my God, I can only I hope I never have to know. That's something you don't ever forget. (laughs) Sadly. So yeah, he dragged the body um, into the stables and he used a bush hook which is, I didn't know what it was. I had to look it up, but it's basically a, a machete, but it has like a thicker blade on it. Yeah. So he used that to dismember the body. He claimed that the dismemberment took several hours because he basically had to take repeated breaks because he kept vomiting. Yeah, I bet he, I bet he was. <laughs> Ooh. You can only imagine. Because you got to well, figure the 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 decomposition that you know like the naturally the, the condition of the body and then he's using essentially a machete. So it's not like he's, you know, like it's a power saw or he's like chopping at it. Like, you know, like you would hack, you know, hack at a, at a bush or, you know, like it had to been in, you know, not to get too grotesque or gruesome, but, you know, as you're chopping stuff, people that's ever, you know, used a machete or whatever, as you're chopping, there's stuff spraying everywhere. And yeah, there's, it's, I'm sure it was quite a mess. I'm, I can't even imagine disgusting what it looked like or, yeah, I mean. So finally Chavez completed the dismemberment. And he placed three of Jimmy's body parts into three separate planters. Right. He then took cement bags, which they already had in the stable. And he basically sealed the tops of the planters with cement. He poured cement into it. He poured cement on top of them, yeah. Then he placed the planters in front of some hedges on the property. And he told Mrs. Shinehouse at the time that he had done that in order to keep the horses from eating and destroying the hedges, which I thought was actually a pretty decent lie. Because it is true. How would you explain like putting cement planters like somewhere? Yeah, you know what sudden, I mean? Right, yeah. All of a sudden it's like, hey, look, planters. Oh, okay. Like it's one thing <laughs> to put plants in them, but like if you have cement, people are going to be like, what? Yeah. That actually doesn't, yeah. It's not even like planters with bushes. Well, I guess the cement is to keep, like you said, keep the horses away, but. Because I, I think it like made it heavy enough where they couldn't knock it over, you know? Right. right. Okay. We'll go with that. So Chavez concluded his confession at 10.50 p.m. At that point, an interpreter and a stenographer were requested so that Chavez could record a formal and final statement. Though at 11.45 p.m., Chavez was once again informed of his Miranda rights because he'd been told throughout the confession, but he once again waived his rights and also gave the detectives consent to continue searching his property. At that point, his statement was committed to paper and Chavez was given the opportunity to review it and make any corrections he deemed necessary. Detective Estopinen said that throughout his sworn statement, Chavez was, quote, polite, cooperative, and he was alert. Mrs. Balbus, so she was an independent interpreter that was brought in to uh, interpret for Chavez. She read each page to Chavez in order to make sure that his statement was complete and correct because it was written by the police in English. 
Right. So he, she basically had to read it to him in Spanish so that he could verify that everything was accurate. Right. And he had to initial the bottom of each page as it was read. So finally, after a 52 hour interrogation, it was over. So the interrogation included the two trips to the crime scene that they made, several breaks and a period of sleep where they gave him a pillow and um, blanket to sleep first, you know, a normal right. amount of time. Right. So at that point, once everything was signed, he was taken to jail. Upon searching Chavez's trailer, Officer Michael Bird, I think it's pronounced Bird, B-Y-R-D. Yeah, Bird. Do you know him now? Yep, he retired too. Just retired a little while ago too. Officer Michael Bird and crime scene technician L.V. Magarejo. Yeah, it's hard to pronounce. Yeah. Uh, he actually it was a him oh i'm sorry it just and, always sounds like a girl's name lv and he actually became a, a a homicide detective and was a very good one he just passed away a, a little while ago so rest in oh. peace LV. well he did good work on this case he but did. this time he was a crime scene technician right yeah that's where he started crime scene so so he recovered along with officer michael bird a loaded handgun uh which had been the one used in the murder there was also a missing poster of jimmy's with his picture on it that was found in the trailer Again, karma. Yeah, well, and it just shows how, like, he was not ashamed of what he did. Like, he literally took a missing poster and, like, kept it in his house after, yeah. he, after he killed and raped him. Well, we, we have, a we, we have a, like, a, it's not a joke, kind of a saying. It's like, sometimes we only catch the dumb ones, you know, and sometimes they just, they just make enough mistakes where, you know, we, we pick up those clues and stuff. I mean, this wasn't the case in this one because you have Miss, Miss Scheinfeld, right? Is that what her name is? Scheinhaus. Scheinhaus you know busted it wide open but it's it's amazing what you know what criminals like how sometimes they get so sloppy and clumsy and you know especially for something you know a crime this horrific you would think that you know you would take more steps but you know luckily again karma or whatever you believe in but wasn't the case in this case <laughs> right yeah i mean this i will say i think chavez is a little bit dumb yeah well he's i don't not, think he's like a, a super genius criminal not a road scholar not not a road scholar not no. a road scholar okay so yeah, they found the handgun. They found the missing poster of Jimmy. They obviously found Jimmy's backpack. They took a box of bullets from the house. They took one spent shell casing, a tube of lubricant, a sofa cushion, and a piece of the trailer's floor from in front of the door. Right. So all of that was taken into evidence. Okay, so I'm actually going to end part one here, and next week we'll jump into the trial where we're actually going to find out that there may or may not have been some more victims. So tune back in next week for that. And I just wanted to say thank you all so, so, so much for listening. It really means a lot to us. Well, we'll see you next week. Bye! Bye!